Hello and welcome to another edition of Battle Plans. I'm Tony Lombardi and I'm joined by James Ogden, Deb Pantois, both from Russell Street Report. Battle Plans is brought to you in part by Royal Farms. Royal Farms is now featuring a free 20-ounce Pepsi with a purchase of a three-piece chicken meal. So that's Royal Farms, real fresh, real fast. So guys, the bye week is behind us and the Ravens sat on a sideline and suddenly they're in first place. Uh. That's the that's the Raven way, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't this happened before? <laughs> when they they've been on a bye and then the AFC North kind of duke, dukes it out. And why well, I, I know that the Bengals loss was the least expected. We know the Browns and the Steelers would take care of it themselves. I will pat myself on the back though because I threw out some feelers. Maybe it's me being in New York that the Jets. This is like a classic setup at you know in New York. The Bengals coming off a big win talked a lot after the game and, and they got knocked down a pedestal or two um so the, the kudos to the jets but it, it kind of was a classic bungle game for them that they bungled up it's yeah, been such a lot it's just crazy how they they can just absolutely dominate the ravens and and we could talk about that game a little bit if you guys want to but that it's it seems like it was so long ago but i don't know the bengals just played the best game they could have and the ravens probably played one of the worst games they could have yeah, Tony, I think we're going to talk about it a little bit in this um, podcast around sort of uh, with preview for the Vikings game that I felt one of the things the Bengals did really well was just, I've mentioned this before, we've, we've faced a lot of idiosyncratic teams so far this year, teams that run, you know, like the Raiders in week one, run a Gus Bradley cover three, you know what you're getting so you can you can prepare for that for that defense and, and have a game plan that will work all game. The thing that the Bengals I thought did really well was just was mix up their coverage looks and and they they basically went they they were a majority cover one, cover three team coming into the game and they just went away from it. They were very mixed in the coverages they that they threw at, at the Ravens. And it really, it really kind of threw the Ravens and they, they took a while to adjust and then they adjusted back again. I was, I was just really impressed with that Bengals defense, the way they did that. And it was a, it, it was a, it was a really good matchup for the Bengals in that sense. And that's why conversely the, the Jets game wasn't as good of a matchup and, um, and they, they got, they got taken down, but I think we'll talk about it with the Vikings. That's a similar, similar sort of um, problem for the, for the Ravens this year, you know, Mike Zimmer uh, this, this week, Mike Zimmer, you know, has a chameleon-like defense that we're going to have to put up with. Any thoughts on the Bengals game, Dev? Uh, yeah, no, I think this is one of those games. I'm not going to look at it from more of the X's and O's perspective, but just more from a general macro perspective in that this is the type of game where I think it might have been exaggerated a bit in terms of how bad of a loss it was. Because if you look at it, the Ravens had the lead in the third quarter and then everything fell apart. A lot of uncharacteristic perfect storm type of uh, screw-ups from them coaching wise players wise it seemed like the defense might have just been spent and I think some of these guys might have just been looking forward to the bye week I'm not trying I'm not trying to question their effort just more like an accumulation of so many things that they've dealt with from training camp on and all of a sudden I think just kind of staring them in the face that they're getting the they're having a team that's more um that's that wants it more right so I think that might have been the case and historically, you know, they've lost games like this and then they bounce back. I'm not too concerned about it. And I think it's actually the type of game that can help fuel a bye week and kind of get your preparation um, a little bit sharper. I've been watching America's game a lot, guys. And there's always these games that all these teams have. And then they, they inevitably say the loss helps them down the road, especially because they're going to see the Bengals again. So 
that's my take on the on that game. Yeah, that's a really great point, and I agree with you. When you look at those America's teams and and look back on those seasons, and even like any season, the Ravens have won the championship. That they've always had these ebbs and flows and these adverse conditions that they needed to overcome. It, it's part of the journey. And you know, you look back at the Ravens' history. This is the ninth time, guys, the Ravens have been five and two in their history. And they've been, what, around 25 years. So five and two for the ninth time. And they're going to try to advance to six and two for the seventh time. So we'll see what happens. But this is, this is something that – and it's a third straight season that the Ravens are trying to advance to six and two. So that's, that says something about the consistency of the team, the consistency that they've had really in the last three years with Lamar Jackson at the helm. So they're going to be facing a Vikings team and they did not make any moves at the trade deadline, but the Ravens do have some new additions because some guys are to the 53 because some guys are coming off into reserve. And one of the most underrated understated guys coming back who looks like he's going to go this week is Nick Boyle. Yeah, I I'll, I'll start James. And I, I'm so excited about Nick Boyle coming back. You said it, Tony. In the landscape of um, obviously the big picture, I don't think he's a name that is of interest for people that you know, observe the Ravens locally. I think everybody understands his value, though. He is almost uh, as the equivalent of getting an offensive lineman back the way they use him as a battering ram in the run game and, and, and Roman's scheme. And I think the big thing, and James, you can back me up or you can let you know kind of fill, fill the gaps on this, but I think he's really going to help the edge runs with his kickout blocks and his ability to really just handle tight ends. And even at times defensive ends, I mean, can't, can't um, under uh, or overstated enough that he's that good of a blocker. He's the best blocking tight end in the league. And he might even be the best pound for pound blocker at, at a like fullback H back tight end position. So that's how valuable he is. He really is. Debbie. You're so right. I think you hit on it on the edge. Just having to deal with him and Ricard is a major headache. Only having to deal with Ricard, you can probably do it, but dealing with both of them is a real headache for teams. And you know the way that they move him pre-snap is also a is also a key thing. He's just a guy who just adds so much to our run game. Um, and and we'll, we'll help out in the pass game as well in, to, in terms of pass protection. So Boyle's huge, and I, I think it's kind of underestimated how, how sort of constricted the playbook becomes when you don't have uh, – Greg Roman's playbook becomes when you don't have a, uh, a blocking tight end as, as, as good as Boyle, and we just haven't had that. Uh, the Ravens just haven't had that through the first, first weeks of the season. One of the other additions – that the Ravens made, he's currently on the practice squad, is Cedric Obwehi, who comes from the Seattle Seahawks. Guys, I don't know what your experience is in looking at film of, of Obwehi, but he seems like a guy that is more of a technician than a brute right, right tackle, your typical brute force right tackle. But I also think that he's a guy that does a couple of things for the Ravens and that he provides decent pass protection over there where we've seen Tyree Phillips get overmatched. And it also improves the offensive line, in my opinion, because that gives Joe DeLisandris the option of moving Phillips to left or right guard, where I think he's more suitable or, or is a better player. So, Dad, let's start with you. Your thoughts on that? Sorry, got 
put on mute there for a second. Um, yeah, I agree with you. The, the, the value is Phillips to me being able to play left guard. And Joe D, as you mentioned, I mean, talked about openly that that's the position that we would prefer to keep him at. Usually coaches aren't that outspoken uh, about necessarily like a specific position for a player. But I think it's clear that Phillips is just not a good fit on the outside his footwork and just his overall balance. I think he's susceptible to, to a better pass rusher um, out in space. He needs to be inside and kind of confined. And, and I think he, he showed, uh, or when he's gotten the chance to play left guard, that there's an upside there. He's physical. He's a beast. Um, he's a physically gifted guy, I should say. And I think that's really a, a two for one, as you pointed out, if you can keep um, him at left guard. And then I think of, I might be mispronouncing his name, but Obahi, um at right tackle. Um, yeah, I, I'd rather see somebody better in the pass protection sense, um, if, even if he is, even if that is where he's stronger, uh, because I think that if you can get Phillips at left guard, it might boost the run, your run blocking a little bit too. So I think it's a good two for one situation. The guy yeah, I've seen definitely- him uh, compared to is Eugene Monroe, former Raven that retired abruptly and left the Ravens holding a bag of money on their salary cap. But uh, Eugene Monroe, I know he, he left a bad taste in the, in the mouths of Ravens fans, but as a, as a comparison, that's not such a bad player. Tony, I, I think uh, maybe stylistically with, with uh, Eugene Monroe, uh, with a way, I think the, the challenges that Monroe had um, a number of good seasons as a regular starter, I think in Jacksonville before he came to the Ra- before he came to the Ravens, it might have been somewhere else as well. But Monroe was was I felt was a solid starter. A way he when he's played consistently, you know, he entered the. I really liked him coming out, and he entered. He I didn't like him as a first round pick, which is where the Bengals took him. But I did like him coming out. He what he you know he was a bit of a disaster in Cincinnati. He's been better as a spot starter. I think he's a he's a he's an adequate pickup, and I think he 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 is a bridge to when Makari comes back that is way more satisfactory than than having Terry Phillips play out, out there on the right side as, as, for the reasons Dev touched on. I think he's going to be a, an adequate right tackle, and I think he's you know like I said he's going to get us to to Makari coming back, which is which is crucial in this stretch of games. You know, we the, this these next three games especially. Are, I think must win games for the Ravens. So to have your weak link on your offensive line be a little better in terms of why he and I think he probably will be the weak link on the line. But I think he's a he's an adequate weakest link to have. So the especially Ra- if you get Nick Boyle back, by the way. Sorry, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yes. that's where Boyle's value helps. And no, Dev, I think, give him help. I think. Yeah, Dev, I think you're right. I think the reason why he's been more consistent as a spot starter is because teams have more consistently got him help. You know, if he's starting regularly for a team, he's got to he's got to hold up on his own. And and I think it's because when he's coming as a spot starter, teams have realized his limitations and have and have got him the help that he needs. And the Ravens will need to do that, I think. Well, the Ravens host the Minnesota Vikings, and boy, if you tell it back eight years, guys, and remember that game when the last time the, the Ravens hosted the Vikings. I believe it was December 8th, 2013. And in that game, it was a rather boring game up until the last couple of minutes of the fourth quarter when all hell broke loose. And it was just insane. The Ravens coming away with a win there, winning on the last uh, couple of seconds with a touchdown pass from Joe Flacco 
to Marlon Brown. And what a great game that was. Uh, hopefully my, we don't have to put our hearts to the test the way we did that game this time around. The Ravens have won 11 straight against the NFC. And guys, I think a lot of that has to do with teams not being able to simulate Lamar Jackson in their practices. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Tony. I was just thinking about it as, as what's the connection and you just nailed it. Uh, and it's tough. And I, I believe, you know, maybe there's also something to the fact that I think some of the NFC teams are physical and they play a physical brand of football. You saw the Niners against the Ravens hang tough with them, but I don't know, like a lot of these teams, I don't know if they're physically cut out as well to handle what the Ravens bring to the table. This is this being a different incarnation of the Ravens, of course, that's not as physical, <laughs> but when they've been, um, you know, when they've played the NFC, especially with Lamar Jackson, they've just bullied them. And, and that's really been the formula to win these games. Well, just as a side note, Lamar Jackson, the last time he went up against a team that uh, Delvin Cook played for was when they were in high school. Lamar Jackson played for Boynton Beach and Delvin Cook played for Miami Central. Miami Central won the game, but Delvin Cook was going on record saying how it was just like one against 11. Lamar Jackson was insane. I think he had 248 passing yards in the second half to go with 194 rushing yards. I mean, that's crazy. Both of them combined for over 700 yards of offense, eight touchdowns for uh, for a piece. So that, that's a I know that these guys don't play against each other, but it's an exciting brand of football that both of those guys bring to the table. They really do. And it's, uh, you know, we'll get into Dalvin Cook and stopping him, but uh, like they, they, they really do. I think they're, they're both sort of generational players, like Dalvin Cook, especially. I just don't think gets the, I think he gets plenty of credit, but I'm not sure he gets all of the credit he deserves when you go and you go and watch him as I've done this, this last week um, in a lot more depth, you, you start to appreciate just how good a running back he is. And obviously we all know, we all know how special Lamar is. Well, let's focus on the offensive keys first and let's stay with you, James that Zimmer, he's a, he brings a complex form of defense. Talk about that a little bit and how the Ravens ought to go about attacking that. Yeah, I think the thing with Zimmer that often gets lost is that the guy, sort of, because he's kind of that old school coach, he doesn't get much credit for, for sort of the innovation that he, that, he, that he employs in his defense. And I think one of the things just to note is that, you know, he's brought some different guys on board. He's brought back Paul Gunther um, as a defensive assistant after his time in uh, with the Raiders uh, and obviously Gunther coached with, with Zimmer at the, with at the Bengals. He's had Andre Patterson for a long time. He's brought in a guy called Carl Scott, who was a defensive backs coach at Alabama the last few years. I don't need to tell you, you know, <laughs> Trayvon Diggs, Patrick Satan, you know, those kind of guys that these are the guys that, that Carl Scott's coached in the last couple of years. So he's got some, and I think what Carl Scott has actually brought is Alabama's um, cover seven defense. What I think we've what I think we've seen through the first few weeks is 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 like so, some creativity from Zimmer. He's changed a lot of things, but I think the other thing is he's he's doing the same things he's done all all his career in terms of the disguise that he puts in his defense is really difficult to to master. You know, we saw Joe Flacco really struggle with with the Bengals defense for for years um, under Zimmer, and you see the same thing with this Vikings defense. They they will disguise and use a lot of smoke and mirrors, and you all. They also have zero tendencies, so the the rate at which they use different coverages is is just it's really regular. They will not, um, they will not show you a specific coverage look over and over and over again that you have to beat. 
the Ravens have had some success against some of those teams, uh, some of the teams so far in the season, like I've already said, that, that you know, run a particular set of co- uh, particular coverage. You just can't get into one mindset against Zimmer. So I think the thing, um, and I'll, I'll let Dev talk about how he uses Harrison Smith, but I think what you see, um, and I think what we're going to need to see from the Ravens passing game this week is sort of a dialing up of that, of that stuff they've done with those with the wide receivers, you know, Keith Williams, T. Martin, uh, working with Greg Roman, have given those wide receivers a lot more freedom. They've given them some option routes, some choice routes, and what you've seen there is sometimes some spacing issues. But it's been because they've given more freedom, more autonomy to those to those wide receivers, and I think that's something we need to dial up this week so that those receivers can start adjusting to that coverage. Because what Zimmer will show you immediately pre-snap is going to be very different to what you see immediately post-snap and in terms of the actual actual coverage they get into. Yeah, and James, as far as Harrison Smith, he's almost that. He is the glue, or he's that, I guess, um, roadmap to what the coverage might be, and that means uh, Lamar Jackson, Lamar has to be dialed in to, to your point to be able to decipher where Harrison, Harrison Smith lines up if there's any tendencies. He moves around a lot watching him against the Cowboys. He will show, he'll, he'll come up to the box and then he'll drop into coverage 15 yards deep after the snap and he'll, or he'll time it right before the snap or he'll do vice versa. Like he'll, he'll show that, you know, maybe he's, he's, he's deep and he's going to come down, down on the blitz. He'll take on the tight end one-on-one. Very Eric Weddle-like, if you guys remember how he was deployed by DMPs and also um, by Wing. So just a jack of all trades, but they trust them a lot. And I think, but I think, and you know, this is this is the part where the film study comes in. He might be able to give you the, that roadmap again to which coverage they're in. So Harrison, because of that, they can disguise cover one, cover three, all these different coverages to James's point, quarters and all that stuff. You just have to be able to, I think, pinpoint Harrison Smith, and, and he's a big component to this, um, and, and just being able to be patient. And, um, yeah, I think that – and it's also shades of the Denver game, right, James, as well. So it's like I think understanding the safety movement is going to be a huge component or, or piece to this. And, and, I, and one thing I'll add, the Cowboys, it was interesting, that the Vikings backed off a lot against those receivers and played underneath cushion coverage. I wonder if they give the Ravens receivers the same – respect but it was a, an interesting manu- move considering they played the backup and then played Dak Prescott and they got burned as a result. James you brought up a good point in the, the preparation for this podcast and that Hunter's out with a torn pec muscle and that could ch- I mean looking the, the Ravens are obviously going to look at film study or going to do some film study but what they see on film might be different than what they see on Sunday because Hunter being out may change the way Zimmer wants to attack. Yeah, it really does. Like Daniel Hunter is has you know come back from the from the uh, season long injury last year and turned straight back into the, the the dominant pass rusher we've seen over the last few years. Uh, it's a huge blow for him to be out. So I think he has, I think he leads the team in pressures, and they they are second in terms of uh, pressure rate over the over the course of the season, second only to the Bills. So he's a big loss because it means, you know, you, you have to do different, they will have to do different things to get pressure on Lamar than they did before. And, and that can be a little dangerous when you're playing against the Lamar and you have to, you know, you have to bring some, some more exotic pressure packages to get to him. And um, if you can line up and just go one-on-one and go at him, 
they'd have given a they'd have given the Ravens a real headache with Daniel Hunter. We're trying to he lines up mostly on that on that left side, on the right side of the offensive line. And so he'd have been going up against um, Boyhe, uh, possibly Tari Phillips. We don't know. Like that, that could have been a real, could have been a real issue. I think what they will do to combat it, like, like you said, Tony, is they'll, they will bring different types of pressure. And, and Zimmer has done that over the course of his career. And you see that he, he doesn't blitz at a, at a huge rate. They're about average in terms of blitz percentage, but what they will do is they'll run a lot of stunts. They'll run a lot of three man stunts, which can be difficult to deal with, especially for this offensive line who struggled in slide protection and in, in battle plans that go into slide protection versus big on big protection and combos of those two. And I think the Ravens will need to, to have their slide protection going really well in this game because I do think some of those stunts and those simulated pressures will be the way that Zimmer will try to attack this Ravens offensive line. You also just can't underestimate. So Everson Griffin has been playing really well since he came back to the Vikings. So remains to be seen how much he's he's been helped by Hunter on the opposite side and the more attention going to Hunter. But I, I think you can't underestimate the next man up philosophy. DJ Wanham has looked pretty good in flashes and he'll probably step up. So I think all in all, Hunter being out is a major advantage to the Ravens, but they still have to take advantage of that. I don't think that um, we can take it as a given that this Vikings team is not going to pressure the quarterback just because... Um, Hunter's out. I think there's still a lot of work to do because it's a Zimmer defense, because of the way he normally brings pressure, and because I think they will have a pretty good next man up. And just to add one thing there, uh, yeah, they they, they they seemed a little bit like a fish out of water with their blitz packages against the, Dow, uh, against the Cowboys, but they've had a week to prepare and install stuff, so I think they'll have some, So to James's point, I think they'll have some well-crafted blitzes, but it's going to be on Lamar and the receivers on the outside, that's where the Dallas, that's where Dallas did a lot of their damage. It wasn't even big plays. It was just peppering them on the outside, uh, taking on those corners and one-on-one matchups. And and they won those matchups. They have great receivers. Of course, they have arguably the best receiving group in the league, um, but the Ravens have a pretty good group as well. And that can exploit this, um, this group of corners. Speaking of things to exploit, one of the things that we wanted to touch down on is the Ravens exploiting the edges of the Vikings defense. And we know that Pat Ricard is very important in that regard, but if they could bring Nick Boyle back and activate him for this game, that, that bodes well for the Ravens to try to take advantage of some of the poor edge rushing defense that the Vikings have. Yeah, I think I, I test the edges early just to see what's going on with Hunter not there because Hunter's a very good run defender as well. So he's probably the only side of this, only part of the, Vikings run defense that's been working regularly well. So I would I would try the edges early just to see what's what's happening there, like what what's going to happen with with Hunter out. But I do think the, it's to try the edges to soften up the middle a little more. But you may not have to soften up this middle because it, it it's a bit strange. But because they have Dalvin Tomlinson, they have Michael Pierce, so it's a bit strange. But the, the, this Vikings the interior of this Vikings defensive line has not defended the run well. They have not been efficient in terms of defending the run inside. So I want to test those edges early. And then if you can test the edges early and you can do a good job with Ricard and Boyle outside on, on those blocks, uh, you can get someone round onto Eric Kendricks, who's a very good run-stuffing linebacker. Then you've got, a, you've got a chance of softening up that middle. But 
like I said, they may even not need to soften up the middle. They've, they've been doing something different with their fronts this year, Minnesota, and, and it hasn't quite worked in terms of the, the run defending un, run, run defense as a unit, um, even though they have some real talent inside. Hendricks and Barr are very good against the run, but the foot speed is the one area. If you can get them moving sideline to sideline and then cut back against it. I know Devontae Freeman has been really good at that, setting up defenders. He's getting back into a flow. Uh, you see, you've seen him with those jump cuts, so that could be one area they could exploit. Talk about the secondary of the Vikings, if you guys could, for a second, because in the Ravens, throwing the ball effectively this season. Mark Andrews has been on fire. Hollywood uh, Brown has been doing well, and they're bringing back Sammy Watkins this week to go with Bateman, and Duvernay's getting into the flow. So talk about the possibilities of really exploiting that secondary because they even struggled against the Cowboys' backup quarterback. Yeah, and exactly, Tony. That was the thing that really stood out. I think it was Cooper, the, the backup quarterback, and he he looked like the second. He looked like it was Dak. It didn't look like it was indifference between him and Dak throwing football those corners were left out hanging hanging out to dry there's a lot of man coverage responsibilities for them and it just didn't work out and I, I just don't think they're very capable I, I, the Ravens the way that they've been attacking teams down the field uh, they're one of the best in the league in terms of um, I think it's efficient their efficiency in terms of throwing the ball deep is, is one of the best in the league I don't know if, James you want to add anything to this based on your your scouting um, lens no, you, you, you hit it pretty well there, Deb. The only thing I'd add would be that they, these guys, they, they get their hands on their physical. So getting off press is going to be a, getting off a, a press jam is going to be, is going to be um, a big key for the Ravens receivers this, this week. But you're right. I think beyond that, you know, they, they were hoping Patrick Peterson was going to be their kind of their number one. And um, they were hoping sort of getting him in a, in a Zimmer defense was going to, help revive him slightly um, but he's on IR and so there there just there isn't a whole lot else um behind him you know Mackenzie Alexander Bashar Breland that they're, they're fine but uh, you know we sh- uh, you know we've got a we've got a good receiving court now so you would hope that um that they, they'd be able to exploit that before we get into the defensive keys I wanted to mention the front office is brought to you by or not sorry the front office the battle plans brought to you by in part by the victory team at Keller Williams Gateway the Victory Team offers a luxury service at an affordable price featuring 1.75% full-service listing fee. Check them out at victoryteamsells.com. So getting into the defensive keys, guys, there's some familiar bloodlines on the other side of the ball this week with the offensive coordinator. That is none other than Clint Kubiak, who is the oldest son of former NFL coach Gary Kubiak. He also has younger brothers, Clay, who's a defensive quality control coach for the San Francisco 49ers, and Klein, who is an area scout for the Cowboys. So the NFL runs deep into the bloodlines of Kubiak. It really does, uh, Tony. And, and uh, so what you see from, from this Kubiak uh, is exactly what you see from the eldest Kubiak uh, in terms of the wide zone offense. This is the, this is the thing that the Ravens are going to have to shut down this week they are helpfully very very good at shutting down wide zone wide zone runs they need to so one of the things that if you don't understand the wide zone run offense uh there are three sort of three reads that the, the running back will make 
the running back wants to go on a bang, what's called a bang read, which is basically towards the B and the C gap. So he wants to get out there and sort of go sort of straight diagonally towards that B and C gap and, and find an open rushing lane and, and get through there. He's got a bounce read, which means he can decide to take it outside and, and um, try and outrun the defense to the sideline. Or he's got a bend read, which is where he will cut back against the grain um, and try and find a, a, a running lane on the backside. The Ravens are really good at taking away the bounce, uh, taking away the bang. We've, I think the Ravens have had some difficulty with, with this run defense this year because they haven't played as well as a unit. I think Derek Wolf coming back changes that. So I think Wolf and Williams should be able to take away those, those bang lanes for Dalvin Cook. Always been the Ravens have always been pretty good at setting the edge and taking away that taking away the bounce. So the real difficulty will be that will be that bend, and that's kind of Dalvin Cook's specialty, isn't it, Dev? Yeah, it absolutely is. He's such a threat, very similar to Derrick Henry in that you have to uh, be disciplined uh, and maintain backside integrity because he'll find that backside lane and he'll take it to the house. He can, he can, he can hit you on 80 yard run. He's done it before. I haven't, I've had him three out of my last four years in fantasy. So I keep track of him pretty closely. Um, and he's been good for me, but I hope he's not good this week. Of course uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge on that front and to extend the challenge is the pass game. Uh, they run a ton of boot action off of these, uh, the zone scheme kind of sets up their boot action, their play action. And Kirk Cousins, is, is uh, he's been ingrained in that system now. So that's the other side of it is that as a defense, you have to uh, be disciplined in your gap integrity. Then you also have to be mindful of the, pa- the, the passing game that comes off of these running plays. So that's the, the challenge. I think, to, I think James hit the nail on the head, though. I think the elixir that they needed was Derek Wolf, And they need that front side and backside discipline. But... I think they won't overextend with him on board because he's so good at edge contain and just, you know, setting, setting the edge. So they'll, they'll need to set the edge in a big, big way in this game uh, against Cook. Talking about discipline, you know, I think that extends to the secondary too, because if a staple of a Kubiak offense, and we saw a little bit, bit of it against the Chargers when Justin Herbert connected with Mike Williams, they do that, bootleg that hard boot to the right usually and then they throw the ball back down the center of the field after they get the safeties off their marks so talk about that a little bit James and how how important it's going to be for the Ravens to stay disciplined when they run their boots yeah the Ravens really do need to stay disciplined and it's it's you need to play fundamentally good defense against this against this Vikings team and it's it's not just the boots either it's the it's the little it's the little sort of um it's the little nuances to their running game. So they'll what they'll run off that wide zone is a tight zone normally, which is a slightly changed uh, aiming point for the running back. So the running back on a wide zone, like I said, is sort of aiming for the BC gap, whereas on a tight zone, he's aiming for the A gap. And what that does is it, it will take advantage of any defensive linemen who get too complacent and start to really key on that wide zone that wide zone run because that aiming point is slightly wider. So then you can get back up in, and up inside that guy on a tight zone run 
um, because he's sort of widening too much and he's getting away from his um, staying undisciplined. And it's as you mentioned, it's the same thing on that boot action. They have to stay disciplined. They have to stay home. And I think it's one of the things that has been a little bit of a problem with some of those defensive linemen. Madabike has been over pursuing a little bit. He's a penetrative lineman and he's a you know he's getting upfield, but. They, the Vikings are a dangerous team to do that against too much because they will just take advantage of it on that boo action, get outside and, and you know, some, somebody's open downfield. And I'm sure we'll just quickly touch on Thielen and Jefferson as well, who are, who are exceptional uh, receivers. Why don't you jump into that, Deb, with, with Thielen and Jefferson? Because we looked at it last, last game. The Ravens ran into some problems with the Bengals receivers. Talk about the challenges of Thielen and Jefferson. Yeah, it's stylistically a little bit different. You know, Jamar Chase, Higgins, Boyd to an extent, I think there's some similarities to what he offers to Thielen and Jefferson. I look at Thielen and Jefferson as more tactic te- technicians, uh, especially Jefferson. And he, he has surprised me coming out of college because the rep on him was he wasn't a very good route runner. He wasn't as polished. And he put that to bed pretty quickly. He can run uh, so many nuanced routes, get separation. He's smooth. Uh, so he's very good at creating separation and as is stealing. So both of those guys are very crafty. They can, they can get the space, but I don't know that they're going to bowl you over like Jamar Chase in the open field. And again, I don't think anybody's like Jamar Chase, but the point is, is that the big play component is, I know what's the, what has absolutely been the Achilles heel, heel of the secondary I do think there's a chance for them to regroup against these guys as good as they are, because uh, I think they're more the types that will keep the chains moving and pepper you. So the one caveat is I think the tackling, they, they, they can improve the tackling. I think Jefferson's a little bit better after the catch than Thielen and more of a threat. Um, Thielen's good down the field, locating the football and he'll, he'll really find it. So there's a, a little bit of a challenge on both ends of it for the DBs, especially like, you saw Aver do such a good job of that in the last game against Cincinnati, locating the football. So they're going to have to be very good at that. And I think they're going to have to be on top of their, their, te- their footwork and their technique this week so they don't get turned around. Those are the challenges that these two receivers present. James, jump into the matchup that you're going to be watching most closely. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of offensive linemen, defensive linemen, wide receiver, defensive back uh, matchup. So I wanted to change it up a little bit this week. I'm a big Eric Kendricks fan, always have been since he came out. So I think a big key to this game this week is going to be getting Pat Ricard at the second level and, and getting him to um, to get a hat on a hat on, on Eric Kendricks. He's very, very patient, Kendricks, and will be able to to um to sort of read his block read the blocks and, and read these keys and get over and, and and make plays and so I'd like to see Pat Ricard sort of streaking through into the second level blowing him up as much as possible I think that's a really good matchup to watch this week uh, between Kendricks and, and Ricard okay guys we're out of time this has been the battle plans on Russell Street Report check out James's deep dive into the Ravens Vikings matchup on Russell Street Report thanks for joining us be sure to mark battle plans as a favorite wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.